on Devil Times 5 this month, witchcraft, cannibalism, rebirths and death, as well as men telling each other to bugger off you bloody sod. And that's because we're covering a selection of horror films from 1970s Britain. You're listening to the Devil Times 5 Horror Podcast. This is episode 53. I'm Cliff and I'm joined by my fellow fine upstanding Englishmen, Luke, Emily and CJ. Um, plus we have not one but two guest devils this month though they come as a pair representing the full moon online driving it's trash movie fan megan eileen williams and comedian and occultist andrew o'neill hello hi thanks for coming on board tell us a bit about the full moon online driving many many moons ago we did a um a live show called ghoul's night out where we did um we had screenings and we had guests and we had lectures and comedy and cabaret. Um, and we, we based around the theme of different horror genres. And it was really good fun. And then we had venue issues. <laughs> so uh, we, we, we wanted to do something. So the full moon online driving or F mod is um, we do every full moon and we pick a film that at least one of us really likes um, on the culty side. Um, and we dissect it and we try and make each other laugh and then we do a watch along um, and we do a small a small moon-based ritual as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Live online mooning. Yeah, well, you know, because the moon is reflected light, as is the silver screen. You see... I do see. <laughs> well, we'll hear your thoughts on 1970s British horror later, but as ever, we'll kick things off with our highs and lows of horror viewing over the last few weeks. And CJ, it's been a while since we last heard from you, and I know how much you love to start, so you could start. <laughs> ah, highs and lows, that's a good question. Uh, the high is going to be Psycho Goreman. Uh, which I know you weren't enormously fond of, but I absolutely loved it. I thought it really captured the true spirit of 80s VHS rather than the the sort of ironic smug looking down on it. Uh, I think it had a a kind of nihilism that a lot of 80s VHS classics have, uh, but it also had that kind of sweetness to it. It's like a very puerile kind of nihilism, uh, which I think sums up me to a T. Uh, so I loved it. But it's got that really irritating little girl in it who I hated all the way through. I thought she was hilarious. I laughed at almost everything she said. I, I thought she was very funny. I wanted to punch her. <laughs> I mean, you're not. You're not supposed to like her. She's a she's a psychopath. No, no, it wasn't that. It was the theatre schoolness of her. It was all her mugging, her mugging, <laughs> and her sass, her false eight year old sass. It's awful. The rest of the film was fine. It was just her. Couldn't stand her. Anyone else seen that, Psycho Goreman? I really like the film, but I did find her very annoying, like, cringe right from the moment she was on the screen. But I love the gore of the film, and I love all the ridiculous characters that Psycho Goreman has to fight. Yeah, the creatures are incredible. Just really wild designs. And a low? My low, uh, weirdly, was a film that was in many ways similar to Psycho Goreman, but in many ways the complete opposite, which was Summer of 84. All right. Summer of 84 was just so so irritating like that's a bunch of irritating kids it had a really weird turn towards the end where it stopped being like the goonies uh which is shit anyway uh and instead started to be like really dark and it just did not work at all i just found the whole thing really really irritating and and obviously that and psycho gorman both tried to channel that like 80s VHS thing but Psycho Goreman did it perfectly for me and Summer of 84 was just crap the weird thing about it is one of the actors they had in it it was definitely like they were trying to get a River Phoenix 
look alike mm-hmm. in the film um, to make it feel more eighties. But I think it works. Like I, I actually quite like the dark turn that it takes at the end because it's quite unexpected. But um, yeah, I, I enjoyed that one. Uh, Emily, um, I've got two highs. Mm. Um, first one is basically another instalment in the uh, long running series. Emily watches films she should have watched twenty years uh-huh. ago. Um, the first one was um, Prom Night Two. Hello, Mary oh, Lou. Yeah, banger. It was one of those ones where I used to be slightly obsessed with the VHS cover when I used to see it in the video shop as a kid. And um, yeah, I've finally seen it. It kind of fits in nicely with the whole 80s remembering the 50s thing that was um, doing the rounds at the time. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, um, that's fun. And the other one was the stone tape, the right. uh, Nigel Neal thing. Oh, um, superb. It's so good. I don't know why I hadn't watched it before. Um, it's just all the sort of brilliant kind of BBC radiophonic orchestra of special effects and um, like properly spooky, sinister moments done on a very low budget. And also Jane Ash's character is kind of done dirty by the ghosts and also by the horrible, horrible men that are in the room. There's something really horrible. There's like the atmosphere of that company at the beginning is so mm. sort of unnerving. And I think it's something Nigel Neal's really, really good at. Yeah. Of just like there's something wrong already before the supernature kicks in. Mm. Yeah, Stone Tape's beautiful. And yeah, there's a moment at the beginning where... Um, she she's the one who's got like is a really sort of sensitive psychic, so she knows there's stuff that's wrong. She tells the guy in charge this, and he goes, "Well, you're a very female one, aren't you?" <laughs> it's just like I was watching it with a friend, and he was like, "Okay, so was the problem there the ghosts or just misogyny?" And um, it was a bit of both. But um, yeah, it's a great film. Lake, um, my girlfriend locked herself out and just ran down the stairs, <laughs> so I'm out of breath. <laughs> um. um I've had quite a weird month. I decided to watch back through the Shrek franchise and Saw franchise, so it's been a been a weird <laughs> mix. Um, but I fitted in the anthology film Southbound, oh, yeah. which I'd already seen before, but just think it's a lot of uh, fun. And um, there's so much... like I like the way that it's not just short films fitted into each other, that it is um, on flow in the whole time. Yeah. Like the camera goes from one place. I'm actually out of breath. <laughs> <laughs> These films sound a lot more exciting now. Yeah. <laughs> There's one scene that that's always got me. It's like a surgery scene that's quite horrific. Yeah, I think that's the most memorable segment. Yeah. Um, I just think it's one of the better sort of um, anthology films. Um, my low is a new film called Great White, which is from the producers of 47 Meters Down. Is it? Down. It's a shark movie but you know how before when i said i watched blackwater abyss and it was like home and away yeah but with crocodiles mm-hmm. this is pretty much that again the shark shows up for a little moment and then half an hour of the film is two women speaking about if they want to have kids as the shark is swimming around them um <laughs> just padding the time out yeah it's really bad and when the cgi shark shows up it looks like someone hasn't actually finished rendering it because it's just like a grey box that jumps wow. at them at one point. So it's home and away, but with crocodiles, but with sharks, but with grey boxes. Yeah, it, I saw it had a 3.1 on IMDb and I still decided to watch it because that's just what I do to myself. Yeah, uh, Megan and Andrew. Um, so I rewatched. I didn't realise I watched it the first time and then watched it a second time, uh, La Yorlena. And uh-huh. then realized it was part of the whole Conjuring universe. Oh, the curse of La Lorena. Yeah, yeah, that one. I think it was better the first time than it was the second time. <laughs> um, although it didn't stick in my memory. Um, but I've I've gone back and I'm trying to rewatch all the Conjurings. But uh, I've 
only gotten halfway through the first one. So, so what is that? Is that a high or a low? <laughs> that is um, just what happened. <laughs> in reference to horror films this month. Okay. My low is Monster Squad. I hadn't seen it before, and I sat down to watch it with my 11-year-old. Uh, and, right, here, here's, a, here's a slice of 80s. This is, this is what we used to... And within the first five minutes, there was aggressive fat shaming and the repeated use of the word faggot. So we went, yeah, do you know what? We'll find something else to watch. So, you know, she she, she likes horror. Um, she likes being scared um, to the degree that actually she let herself in for the first time today using her own keys. Uh, and I hid behind the door and scared her and she hated it and then loved it. So she's going to be a proper horror fan. Um, my high was a rewatched Matthew Holness's Possum, yeah. um, which I I just adore. It's like it's it's basically just a mood piece. It's um, beautifully unsettling, and I really really love his his aesthetic. I'm obsessed with a gun for George, which is one of his shorts. Um, uh, it's it's basically Garth Marenghi, but without any of the humour, <laughs> and, and and just with it, with all the all the humour and Garth Marenghi is replaced by horrible horrible tragedy. Um, but yeah, Possum mm-hmm. is properly beautiful. We always like to get a Garth Marenghi reference in, so that's nice and early. Um, <laughs> my low is uh, the Bloodhound, which is a terrible American indie remake of um, the Fall of the House of Usher, with just two of the most annoying central characters one like a total ponce who's the usher character and his friend who's come to visit is the wettest blanket i've ever seen and quite how they managed to stretch this two-hander out to 90 minutes i don't know but it's incredibly boring and my high well my high is watching the entire saw series again full time <laughs> round ahead of spiral um spiral isn't the best in fact, let's face it, it's the worst Saw film. I still enjoyed it, though. I mean, it's good. I enjoyed Chris Rock in it, like thinking it was his Beverly Hills Cop moment, whereas, in fact, it was his The Adventures of Ford Fairlane moment. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed um, The Traps. Uh, they're not as like painful and torturous as in the proper films, but, you know, um, I didn't enjoy how bad the twist was and how predictable it was. That was the worst thing about it. It was very badly written, but it's, it's nice to have a bit of Saw back. Mm. The director now wants to make the Saw universe. Yeah. So still carry on after Jigsaw and still carry on after Spiral. I thought you were going to say that they were going to do Saw Babies or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, the pre- Saw the animated series. Yeah. I mean, that would be good. (laughs) I'd watch it. I'll take all the Saw I can get, really. I'm fucking addicted to Saw right now. (laughs) there's just something about watching a series that is that continuity heavy uh on consecutive nights over eight nights now nine nights i suppose oh it's beautiful also shout out to the seeing saw podcast which is the official lionsgate saw podcast uh nine episodes long it's really funny it might be official but it's like very critical and um it's presented by two british people and a spanish person including um charlie shackleton the documentary maker um, they're very good. It's a great podcast. Listen to it. Um, so uh, they were our highs and lows this month. And now we travel back 50 years and look at the most horrific things to come out of the UK in the 1970s. <laughs> 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 
cheap gag. Uh, and, we, <laughs> and we begin with Megan and Andrew's pick for first feature from 1973. It's Douglas Hickox's Theatre of Blood, a.k.a. for the Americans, Theatre of Blood. <laughs> when eight professional critics laughed at Edward Lionheart's acting ability. Quite insane. Oh, my God. He killed himself. Then... A strange thing began to happen. One by one, the critics themselves were murdered. His head cut off. Their deaths were so spectacular, so bizarre, it was almost as if Edward Lionheart had come back from the grave to create them. But of course, that was impossible. Good day, Mr. Devlin. Or was it? Vincent Price truly believes this is the most shocking performance of his career. For your own safety, we suggest you agree. You'd better rated R. Uh, a famous Shakespearean actor takes elaborate theatrical revenge against a series of critics who've given him bad reviews. Uh, so, yes, Andrew and Megan, uh, as I said, you picked this. Are you big fans of Theatre of Blood? No! <laughs> <laughs> you hate it? <laughs> No. Well, we actually watched both this and the um, abominable doctor, Ab- Mr. abominable Doctor Fibes, um, yeah. Which uh, that one came first, so mm. a lot of people thought that this movie was kind of a, a carbon copy of that, but just a different setting. Um, which um, <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> back to back, that was quite a lot to watch it, of the same. Of the film. same, <laughs> the same tone and the same, yeah. When I was younger, I think I, I really hated films with this sort of tone. I find comedy horror a difficult. Being a comedian, I tend to like my horror just to be horror. Um, and and definitely back in the day, this would have made me. I think made me a bit. It's like when 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 Hammer films stopped being censored and they just sort of like they started being able to do whatever they want and then you realize that what was really good about hammer was the restraint they were forced to have by the uh, british border film censorship as it was then it's so camp i mean the the guest stars alone it's got fucking eric sykes in it yeah. <laughs> you know and, and it's, the doors um, arthur lowe and, and yeah arthur lowe like it's 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 incredible and um but then there's like a 70s British grit to it, like there are there, you know, there's this some of it looks like the Sweeney, and it's it's the only film I've ever <laughs> seen that. There's no studio shots; it was all on location. It's all location. Yeah, yeah. It's the only film that's ever made a Thames penthouse look mm. grubby and grimy and undesirable. I read that that penthouse was later bought by Jeffrey Archer, so <laughs> I think it'd been grubbier and <laughs> more undesirable. Then, sense, it's even more it? of a horror scene now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's got it's got Diana Rigg. Um, in in surprise drag <laughs> throughout, I, I couldn't figure out. Are you supposed to know that that's a woman in a beard? That's one of the tonal things that I didn't like because yeah. I couldn't tell whether it's supposed to be obvious or not. It's yeah. also got yeah. a sheepskin-based biker look that yeah. is also seen in the Satanic Rites of Dracula and nowhere else. <laughs> British 70s horror. Well, I was watching, and again, and it looks like when she's as the guy character that it's her real hair curled whilst she wears wigs as another character in disguise as a woman mm-hmm. later on. Wow. Which seems like a lot of work. That's a lot of work, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
were they trying to make it realistic or? that's that's exactly <laughs> it, it, it's that it's that tonal ambivalence that i find quite uncomfortable but what I really like, to ground myself for your listeners, I'm a big fan of 50s and 60s British horror, so I'm a Hammer Horror uh, mm. fan. And, I, you know, I really love Christopher Lee, but I'm well aware of his shortcomings. So Christopher Lee's, people think I only do horror films, and actually, I, you know, yeah, mate, you do just, I mean, you mainly did horror films. No, I've done hundreds of films, and most of them were not. Yeah, but also, you mainly did horror. But Vincent Price, in everything he's ever done, is the exact opposite and clearly having the absolute time of his life and fully embracing the ludicrousness of it. Well, this was his, his favourite role. Um, is it his favourite role? Yeah, both this and uh, Diane Rigg both really liked it because it gave him an opportunity to actually do Shakespeare, even in this sort of really <laughs> oh, wow. strange oh, that's, oh, that's, way. That's heartbreaking. <laughs> <laughs> like, they can be... So they liked it because they could be serious actors. Well, be... Pretend be pretend to be serious actors. Oh god! Well, I think I think he's good in this because he's playing a bad actor or Mm. a a hammy actor, (laughs) and I can't take him seriously in most of his films because he's so awful. (laughs) (laughs) You're breaking my heart. I think Vincent Price is brilliant. (laughs) I I think he's hammy, but I wouldn't say that that equates to awful. He's just himself in everything. He's like a like a human cartoon. Tom Baker is it's that sort of thing. Yeah, it's like, exactly, it's like yeah. Ray Liotta in Goodfellas. So Goodfellas is up there, equal pegging with my favourite films ever. And Ray Liotta isn't a very good actor. You watch him in anything else, and he's not very good. But in Goodfellas, he's playing someone who's not quite sure of who he is and how he fits in, and it's perfect. Mm. 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 Yeah, good wow. point. It's like Keanu Reeves in the Matrix. <laughs> Keanu Reeves in the Matrix, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's always a, a treat for me no matter what he's in and I think with Theatre of Blood he really gets chance to go full-blown Vincent Price probably more than any other film that he's been in like he's completely <laughs> off leash um I think this was the first Vincent Price film I ever watched so I was I was very young when I when I first saw it probably about 11 or 12 and I did not give a fuck about Shakespeare until I watched Theatre of Blood, and then I was suddenly very interested in Shakespeare. I bought the, uh, I've got like a giant book of uh, the works of Shakespeare, which I bought shortly after watching Theatre of Blood because I was like, oh, I've got to know more about these these plays because they're so violent. That's yeah, all. Amazing. Vincent Price makes them awesome. Did you read Titus Andronicus first? Uh, oh, of course, yeah. I went straight to Titus Andronicus because uh, yeah, yeah. I knew that that was going to be the, the nastiest. I barely understood a word of it at the time, but uh, I knew it was awesome. <laughs> and that was thanks to Vincent Price feeding that guy his own dogs. Meredith Meridew is the name of that character. And that is... <laughs> I think, actually, I think that's our answer for the tone we need to meet this film with. (laughs) Actually, going back to something you were saying earlier, Andrew, about how, like, um, this reminds you of when the Hammer films were let off the leash. Yeah. Because of the lack of censorship. Theatre of Blood does contain a surprisingly explicit insult, I found. Come, merchant. Come, merchant. Come, merchant. Come, merchant. That's an original Shakespearean insult. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's it's basically seven, isn't it? That's this is this is what it comes down to. It's Saw, and all films are Saw this month, according to my brain. Yeah. And if they're not living up to Saw, then then I don't like them that much. And I mean, it's, it's got traps. Mm. Theatre of Blood has got traps, so it's, it's, it works. It's got the stomach stuffing. It's yeah. got. You it's know, even got it's... a bit where he manipulates a guy, an innocent guy, into killing someone else. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. He's got loads of accomplices. 
What was that? He's got loads of accomplices. Yeah. I thought you said he had loads of accomplices. <laughs> well, he does travel around a lot of London, so he might have that as well. Um... <laughs> yeah, and he does wear the most outfits ever, doesn't he? Well, that's in keeping with the theatre vibe of it, isn't it? It's like Diana Riggs wigs as yeah. well. It's all so theatre. Do you think she opened a shop called Diana Riggs? <laughs> <laughs> if she didn't, she should have done. That was plan B if she hadn't got Game of Thrones when she got a bit older. <laughs> have any of you seen um, James Mason's documentary on the London Nobody Knows? No. No, I do not know that. I've heard of that, um, and I've, I've heard it's good. It's particularly fondly thought of by uh, ripperologists because it's got the uh, ripper murder sites uh, in, I think it's the mid-60s, and they look remarkably the same. Jack, not Yorkshire, we should point out. Yes, yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, so it's, it's areas of London that, that were pretty much abandoned after the 1880s and before they were demolished and, and you know... I mean, even, like, since I first read From Hell in the early 2000s and went round the, the Ripper sites, it's all been sort of developed out. But this film is amazing. But the meth drinkers, there's an amazing bit of just... just loads and loads of silent footage of meth drinkers and this really taps into that. And I wonder if the writer, you know, whosever idea that was, saw that and <laughs> thought, that's, do you know what? That's really horrible. Let's put that in a hilarious camp horror film. <laughs> Let's put people who are clearly drinking themselves to death into a <laughs> Vincent Price romp. Yeah, just, you get these interesting kind of tonal shifts with stuff that was made in the 70s. And this is kind of a good case in point because you have the bits that are horrible are actually quite horrible for the time yeah but i love the fact that you've got the mixture of the camp and the grimy and you've got even though um lionheart is a is a hammy actor and you see him in full actor mode in the flashback scene when he's complaining about not getting the award and chucks himself in the thames and he does like bits of hamlet there his pronunciation is weird he's got like the weirdest pronunciation of certain words kind of outside of toast of london really but it's just <laughs> you know it's vincent price so it's all fine and even with the hamminess in that scene, you still get a sense of kind of pathos there and you get a sense that this is a man who feels like he's been wronged. I mean, he's probably going about things in a very, very over-the-top way, but that's just him. And also the scene where Diana Riggs got a three-corner hat on, that's just a really cool look and, and <laughs> there should be more three-corner hats. So, yeah, I, I love I know movie. I'm getting you for your birthday. <laughs> Diana Riggs, wigs and tricorns. It's the shot that should have been on the oh, Chelsea definitely. Road. Oh, definitely, yeah. <laughs> King's Road, so... <laughs> I did find it weird that a massive rundown theatre that has been pretty much destroyed still has a perfect working sound desk. Mm. That's what I've taken away from this film the most. Um, but I-, I love the surgery scene that's played out in a very comedic way. The decapitation. Yeah, yeah the de- yeah. decapitation. It's just weird that the film... I know it's a comedy horror, but there's some points that are played quite straight as well, especially with the detectives. And then you get to something like that. And it's just so ridiculous. And then we get the really long fencing scene, which is a perfect scene. He knows that Romeo and Juliet is next on the list, and yet he goes for his regular fencing practice, knowing that someone gets stabbed with a sword in Romeo and Juliet. What the fuck is wrong with him? It's also very reminiscent of the Doctor Who story, The Sea Devils, in which John Pertwee and Roger Delgado as the master fence politely. And then <laughs> it's that kind of cliche of, of uh, I seem to have won. Have your sword back. Fencing's always done politely in films, though. You never get it in like a Guy Ritchie film where you get someone going, take that, you fucking slag. <laughs> uh, there's more Vincent Price action in 1971. The abominable Dr. Fives, as you've said, Andrew and Megan, uh, which is the only one of the films we're talking about today that I hadn't seen before and it is mm. well good 
I really enjoyed this one. Um, when the credits say there's a character called Volvania, or maybe it's Volnavia, I don't know. I thought <laughs> I liked that. The uh, Automata Band, the Clockwork Wizards, I, oh, I'm into this. And then it's it's great. It's a, it's a weird slasher film. It ends with a sword that I'll <laughs> I love the way that it doesn't give a shit about anachronisms because it's set in 1925, yet the technology and... Uh, it's all over the shop, isn't it? They don't care. They're just going to date this groovy, weird slasher. Um, it's loads of fun. He's got the longest ox core, doesn't he? That he just carries around with him, like you said about technology. Got it in every single room that you can plug it in. in. The, the longest what called? Ox cord for his ox little cord? voice. What was an ox uh, cord? You know what you plug into... For music and that. An XLR. Jack Jack XLR. Ox an ox cord. It's an ox cord. <laughs> Has anyone ever heard it called an ox cord? Yeah, I've heard it called that. It's yeah. um, AUX, not OX. Oh, oh ox. Ox. <laughs> <laughs> ox. I was thinking like oxtail soup. What was that? <laughs> ox. <laughs> well, that was awkward. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, he has a long... He has a long... Well, of course, these days it would all be Bluetooth. <laughs> I've been meaning to watch this ever since the film The Big Sick. Um, the couple in that, for their third date, watched this movie. So I always wanted to know why like, they find it so weird in that. Um, mm. I think this is fun. Like, I like the traps of it, but I found... Traps, see? Yeah, they're still the... You know, the guy gets the thing on his head, gets the yeah. little frog head. Yes. Oh yeah, that frog head like mask is so cool. And I was like, this is this is definitely saw have taken from this type of thing. Like, I would have loved to see a, a saw movie now with a frog head put on someone, but like, this just works perfectly. That part, there's those little parts that happen, and there's quite a big long gap of just very dull investigations. I mean, there's lots of like long, wordless, surreal scenes without any murders at all. Mm. I really like that. I like the. It's kind of quite modern the way that just takes these times to go a bit arty and odd. One thing I did find out, though, if you actually speed up the film when Vincent Price is talking, it actually sounds at the normal speed. So they slowed down his normal voice? Yeah, if you speed it up to, like, two times, it, it sounds normal. The magic of cinema. <laughs> <laughs> I love this film. It's like a weird sort of psychedelic cartoon. Yeah. There's the, the random scene where Terry Thomas wants his housekeeper to go out so he can watch videos of ladies belly dancing. This <laughs> <laughs> is so, so bizarre and so kind of like old school British comedy. It's um, And just the production design mm. is incredible. And the fact yeah. that on um, Dr. Fives' car has got that blind that's got a painting of him sitting in there on the side. It looks like he's in the car. I think the production design's very Mario Barber. Like that's all I can think when I see all the yeah. like crazy mm. colourful stuff. It's it, it feels really Italian, even though it's not. But then you do have this like extremely British humour as well, uh, as you say. And I, I I think that's it's a weird mix because I think by the end the the ending I think is so dark, quite sad and and bleak. Um, and I think it kind of primes you for that with all those like arty wordless sequences in between the the gags and the the camp. Uh, I, I I don't know. It's it's a really difficult tone to to balance, and I think it gets it just perfect. It's a really good film. I would love to be outside a cinema on these films' original release and just go, so what do you make of that then? What did you expect of a Vincent Price film and what did you get out of it? Maybe it's just full of people going, ah, I really liked it, it really makes you think. (laughs) (laughs) 
there's a story about the naked wrestling scene in Ken Russell's adaptation mm. of Women in Love, mm. yeah. where this is probably apocryphal, but it's good anyway, where somebody said they went to see that back in the day when it came out. So there's a scene with two guys, they're wrestling naked and yeah, they are definitely just wrestling, but it's D.H. Lawrence, so kind of simmering sexual tension, blah, blah, blah. And the scene went on for ages, was quite controversial at the time. And the guy who was watching it was sat near two old ladies. Midway through that scene, one turned to the other and went, oh, that's a nice carpet. <laughs> which yeah so vincent price is one name that keeps cropping up in this era of british horror another is norman j warren director of satan's slave and terror among other films i watched satan's slave I, I couldn't put myself through terror as well i just gave up i thought terror was the better one there is life god damn it i've never been able to get into norman j warren he feels like the sort of thing that i should love on paper uh, and I'm sure he was a lovely man, but I just can't connect with his films at all. They're so drab and workmanlike, and you know, even Satan Slaves, which is full of like nudity and S and M and gore and all sorts. It's so boring. I don't think it is. I think that there is a particular thing with a lot of seventies films where it's um, the pacing is kind of um, kind of off, and that's very obviously the case in Satan's Slave. It doesn't help the fact that the dialogue is as stilted as anything you'd see on The Only Way Is Essex. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. my parents are dead. Yes, they are. Go and have a rest. <laughs> it's quite a reaction when her parents blow up, and I think the the, the scene almost straight after it, when she first wakes up afterwards, and she stares at the camera and says something like, "I watched them blow up." Why did the car blow up like that? And it just it just seems like a really strange way to word it. Like if you've just seen your parents literally explode, get set on fire, and you're just like, Why did the car blow up? And it just I don't know, it is very bad dialogue and it doesn't have anything to to say as a film. Like it, it it's shot at the same house that they shot uh Virgin Witch. Yeah. Which is a very similar plot to Satan Slaves, made a few years before, but actually has like some smarts to it somewhere. Like there's, there's a satirical edge to it that's that's quite witty. But Satan Slaves is just just a, a vacuum of a film. <laughs> I just sat watching it, getting increasingly existential and just wondering what was what was happening to my life. It's not his best film, but I do enjoy it. It's um, a bit genteel. But then, like, the writer, David McGillivray, he can't keep it genteel for more than two or three minutes without throwing in some sex and violence. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, whereas Terror is incredible. Oh, yeah, that was, um, that's quite a lot. That's a lot of fun, that one. I actually <laughs> sort of attempt to kind of do a jello kind of thing. And also a British sex comedy. Yeah, sort of. Well, it's kind of a piss take of a sex comedy, isn't it? Because there's yeah. a scene where they're actually shooting one. Bath time for Brenda. And it just looks awful and awkward and, yeah. yeah. And the um, the man just makes kind of gibbon noises when the guy says <laughs> the guy says action and yeah. Have you seen on Twitter that Americans are taking the piss out of the way that British people speak? Things like bottle of water, you know, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> yeah. And that whole bar time for Brenda scene in Terror it reminds me of one I saw where uh, some American said, "Girl, I'm going to come." British guy, all right, go on then. <laughs> Help yourself, love. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> Be lucky. <laughs> One of my favourite things in anything is an actor who doesn't speak with a London accent putting on a London accent. Which is, <laughs> there was a period in EastEnders where it seemed like they couldn't get any working class actors. I don't. I can't. And they'd put the glottal stop in the wrong place. I don't. <laughs> 
Apparently There's going. quite a lot of that in these films as well. Like, and you yeah. used to get that on telly a lot in the seventies as well, I believe, where you had people that were like the guy that played Old Man Steptoe was like in real life was like cravat wearing and camp. Yeah. And very well. Oh, hello, yes, I'm going to be a rag and bone man from the Shepherd's Bush. Terribly exciting. And then as soon as the camera starts, mm. he's all like, out. Turns out he was the one that felt trapped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Totally. Uh, so those films are undeniably at the trashier, sleazier end of things. Uh, let's look at some classier films now, like Jose Ramon Larraz's Surprisingly Restrained Symptoms, uh, Jersey Skolimowski's The Shout, and Nicholas Roeg's classic Don't Look Now. Um, so, so we start with Symptoms off that lot. I think um, the symptom is that if you're Donald Pleasance's daughter, you get a great big moon face. Just like him. <laughs> Meow. She, she really does look a lot like Donald Pleasance for a lot of this film because she, because she scrapes her hair back and plays a slightly unhinged character. She really does have the the Pleasance look, and she is brilliant in this film. But she mm. was really the only thing that I I liked about it. I thought it was odd because it, it obviously it's from the seventies, but it felt like one of the very modern elevated genre kind of films where absolutely nothing happens at all for pretty much the entire film apart from you know you get a murder and that's about it it's got that nice sort of autumnal color palette to it which is quite unusual for a horror film but yeah it, it is this is another one where the pacing's very slow and for you know it's necessarily a slow burn i suppose but after a while you're just like please can something happen yeah it's strange coming from that director because normally his films are way more sleazy yeah. and exciting i mean black candles yeah. is one black of the... candles was proper sleazy yeah <laughs> it's dirty as fuck that film did you guys watch it andrew and megan no okay <laughs> <laughs> i very much get the impression that not much happens in it <laughs> it's very floaty the character of Anne um has obviously never heard of a wank because she can blatantly hear angela pleasant's having a wank and yet she's like well the fuck's going on What's going on? She creeps around the house trying to figure out what's going on. I took that to mean that she thought it was a ghost, not she was like, oh, is, is that a, <laughs> a ghost, ghost wanking? <laughs> she thought there was going to be a plot behind the door, but the, there wasn't. She was like, is it a ghost? Is it a vampire? Is there something happening? Oh, no. She's just having a, a languid wank. In the first house I ever had sex in, um, there was apparently a, a something to do with the floorboards where the noise of having sex in my bedroom would cause a floorboard in a bedroom that wasn't even next door to creak <laughs> like like properly it, it, as though the floor were haunted <laughs> wow. and then they like ben my housemate um and erstwhile bandmate one day over breakfast said yeah by the way when you have sex in your room my <laughs> my floorboard squeaks in my bedroom now i want to know if a he liked or disliked it. This was never clear. <laughs> and B, if he wanted me to stop or not. So, you know. There wasn't anything about jizz coming out of the walls at the end of it or anything like that. <laughs> not on that occasion, no. No, that was the next house. <laughs> I once, there was a house I lost my virginity in and I once I got a cab past it um, a couple of years ago and I said to the cab driver, that's, that's the house I lost my virginity in, right? And he said, okay. And I said, there's a blue plaque there actually now. <laughs> and he went, is there? And, and it was already, I realised I'd misjudged the mood by telling him that in the first place. <laughs> and then, is there? No, there isn't. 
uh, and just all right. He <laughs> <laughs> drove a little bit faster the rest of the way. Um, the shout. Who's watched the shout? Yeah, I don't know why I keep putting my hand up. I've watched all of them. <laughs> me, me, me. I want a gold star. Please. Well done, Emily. Gold star. <laughs> <laughs> I'd not seen this one before. Um, it was great. And properly unsettling. Mm. So it's got John Hurt and Susanna York as this couple just getting on with their normal lives in the West Country somewhere. And then this mad posh guy who's been travelling in Australia and living with Aborigines comes back claiming that he can now do some special shout that kills anyone in a 10 mile radius. Or, or is it 10 miles? Can't be 10 miles. And fuck yeah, you want to hear that shout. <laughs> and... There's something about the coding of the audio on the Blu-ray that meant I had to turn the volume up really loud to hear the dialogue. And I wonder if it's just because everything is so, so quiet in it so that you do that, so that when he finally shouts, it just absolutely smashes your speakers. Like the interactive VHS board game Atmosphere. Oh, Really? Yeah, I mean, you yeah. have to turn your volume full and then the man who slowly withers speaks very quietly and then he he gets you to come close to the screen and then shouts at you. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Palin wanted to, uh, two or three years into Monty Python, um, the plan was to very slowly and steadily reduce the volume during the episode um, and then broadcast the loudest technically possible sound in order to blow people <laughs> and they weren't allowed to do it, which is a shame. Yeah. I was sort of unofficially playing British 70s sitcom Bingo through all of this and I thought nice. this was going to score a zero like the two Norman J. Warren ones did, but then Jim Broadbent turns up as the man who gets mostly naked and starts screaming at the end. So. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. I, the first 15 minutes are just a game of cricket. Played very quietly, aren't they? Yeah, but even then it's ominous because you've got yeah. like a seagull noise all the way through. That sort of seagull yeah. noise sounds a bit like a cat and a bit like a person and a bit like sort of nothing on earth. It's, um, it's, it's a real testament to the little things like the sound design that, uh, yeah, not a great deal happens in this film, but it still feels really gripping, whereas symptoms felt really mm. kind of aimless. There's always a, there's a hook that's always pulling you through with this because you're thinking about... The shout, uh, and Alan Bates is so oh, just oh, Alan Bates. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you could not have cast a better actor in this role. Just yeah, yeah, you know he's he because you know that if he shouts, it's going to be loud anyway because he's Alan Bates. Um, but, <laughs> but it's just a he's wrestled naked on that carpet. <laughs> yes. Mm. Imagine so, if he, if he'd done the shout then, he would definitely have won that wrestling match. Definitely. Well, yeah. imagine if they'd got the casting wrong and accidentally cast Ralph Bates in the Woman <laughs> in Love. <laughs> Very different film. Uh, but I, I, I love the shout. I think it's a really, really great film that isn't recognised as such very often. I did think the most disturbing thing about it is those horrible stripy bed sheets that they have in their bedroom. <laughs> I used to have them in about 1978 too. Ugh, they're disgusting. <laughs> Good. Is, is, um, this, is this going to be another Jizz dripping down the walls story? <laughs> not in 1978. You sicko. It was three. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh a late developer. You didn't say it had to be your jizz. Oh, no, wait, that makes it worse. <laughs> and Don't Look Now, the daddy of serious 1970s British horror. So I'd only seen this once before, a long time ago, and I, was, I don't think I was that impressed, but it is really good. It's really good, and it's also it's one of those films that's, that's seeped so much into the consciousness of, you know, and the, and it's parody and pastiche that it's sort of difficult to watch it unspoiled, I suppose, isn't it? 
Yeah, but I don't think well, that's or... what I got out of it was the plot anyway, because it's another one where there isn't much plot and it's a quite slow pace. It's Nicholas Roeg's kind of expressionistic editing makes it yeah. really interesting to watch. Yeah. Grinding levitability in the yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, uh, with Italian 70s films, we talk about how much J&B there is at every turn. There's some in this. There's a sign in a cafe window that says breakfast in four different languages. And then all there is on the shelf below are three bottles of J&B. <laughs> <laughs> breakfast of champions. That's Italy. Has anyone else read the short story that it's based on by Daphne de Maria? Yes, I have. I kind of wish, much as and it doesn't really fit in with Nicholas Roeg's kind of expressionistic, like jumping around in time and things no. being all kind of spooky and non-linear i do like the fact that the um the last line of the short story is something like and he thought what a bloody stupid way to die yeah it's <laughs> she's got such a great sense of humor in this story uh, as she often did and i, I yeah. that, that is absent from the film entirely like it, it's completely mm-hmm. humorless which makes it a little hard to swallow that the the, the big twist is it's a dwarf I think I think you kind of need some uh, some sense of your own absurdity that that don't look now is is missing. First time I saw it, I had to watch it straight after a uni class because for some reason our lecturer just showed the sex scene with no context. Wow. <laughs> right, that. that's interesting. What what class was this? I did like um, film, film studies. Study, yeah. So oh, that's all right. Me too. Okay. Showed, they showed that, but it was just it was so out of context. Like he didn't say you're about to watch a sex scene mm. and. Well, I went to uni with thighs. people that didn't really watch stuff like that, so they were really confused as what was going on in class. <laughs> and then I was like, I still have to go home and watch this now because that's all I've seen uh-huh. of it. I need to go and see what the rest of the film is. They showed the sex scene in class and you went, right, I need to go home and watch this. Because <laughs> I need to see what the rest <laughs> of the film was. Did they not even explain the context about no, how... No, he was just like, we're going to talk about Don't Look Now today, but first, we're going to show you this. Didn't tell us that we are about to watch a mirror sex scene, so it was a bit out of nowhere. Um... Our lecturer was quite weird. He showed... Um... Did he just show you sex scenes and nothing else? <laughs> no, he showed us the film Cash, which well, hidden, the French film as well. Did he show you the scene in Cash where absolutely fuck all happens for 10 minutes? Yeah. Right. But then he showed us 300 as well, so... Um... The sex scenes? Well, just hunky men shouting in their pants. Yeah, just hunky men. Uh... I guess that counts. <laughs> but I have realised a lot of other horror films really love to copy the child drowning scene. Last year we got the film uh, Don't Listen... And there is an exact copy of the scene from Don't Look Now when the child falls into the water in that film. I think this has influenced a lot of other horror films. As long as there's don't touch, don't smell. And, yeah. um, <laughs> don't, Look who's talking don't too. T- don't taste. <laughs> don't taste. <laughs> That's the other one. <laughs> Do not eat. <laughs> don't taste now. <laughs> Nil by mouth. <laughs> uh, I suppose one way to make sure you keep it classy is to stick with a PG rating as with... The Man Who Haunted Himself and The Medusa Touch, uh, both of which I think are incredible and sadly, sadly underseen. Um, I mean, I love Roger Moore in The Man Who Haunted Himself. Such a sad story. He's a happy guy, just a regular bloke. Then after a car crash, finds out that there's an imposter going around having a much better life than him (laughs) and he can't explain it to his wife because there's no way to explain it. It's tragic and it's brilliant. I hate the opening so much. 
Oh, it's terrible. And he's speeding in his car and it keeps on changing over to a sports car instead. I know, it's, it's, just, a, bit, it's a bit cheesy. It's such a hilarious scene. His facial expressions in that scene as well are just crazy bad. Like, I feel bad saying that because <laughs> apparently this was Roger Moore's favourite film that he did. And yeah. he said it was because he actually got the chance to act. And it's yeah. like, well, cool. <laughs> Maybe he shouldn't have acted quite that much. <laughs> he does a good job, I think, apart from this particular scene, where I think it's because he's doing that. Should I be speeding? Oh, no, no, I shouldn't be. But yeah. he, that internal struggle just looks like he's he's in pain somewhere. Oh, I love The Man Who Haunted Himself. It's a fucking incredible film. The evil Henry Pelham goes around drinking J&B. So, yes. you know, that's good. <laughs> Literally, there would be no horror films in the 70s at all if it wasn't for J&B. And Mario Bava Lighting. The, the J&B and the barber lighting at the end were really the only hints that this was from the 70s. It felt really 1950s to me. Like, it just felt so sort of stuffy and, you know, those sort of interminable scenes in the boardroom. Isn't that the point? The real Henry Pelham's meant to be stuffy and from the 50s. Then you got this new 70s playboy Henry Pelham. But we never got, like, Evil Pell's fun times. We just heard about them because Roger Moore would burst into a room and say, Oh, bloody hell, I'm Pelham. And so <laughs> Pelham was just here. No, no, I'm Pelham, not that Pelham. Maybe they were alternate <laughs> scenes that the censors wouldn't allow them to show of evil Henry being a filthy monkey. Maybe I'd like the uh, the uncut version, the, <laughs> the lost print with, with the hardcore inserts. Yeah. I don't the know, man who fucked but... himself. <laughs> they do do the eyes at each other a little bit at the end don't they when they find each other in the same room oh that's so great mm. the bit where he walks around himself oh i couldn't figure out how they'd done that that sounds like that's the prequel to the man who <laughs> fucked himself the man who walked around himself <laughs> the man who bought himself a, a man reached around himself <laughs> yeah that's the sequel <laughs> I've just watched the um, rewatch of the Doctor Who story, Meglos, in which there are two Tom Bakers, uh, and and it's, it's it's towards the end of Tom Baker's reign, and he's he's starting to enjoy himself again because he can play a villain. But every now and then, there's just a, you know, how have they achieved this? Well, one of them is wearing quite a bad wig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and the Medusa touch. Well, I know you preferred the Medusa touch out of these two, CJ. Yeah, that was brilliant. I'd never seen it until no. like two or three days ago when I watched it for this, and it just blew me away. I, I thought it was fantastic. Such a great character piece. Richard Burton is incredible. Very similar performance to Alan Bates and the shout, just sweaty and intense and booming voiced. Everything he says, just, oh, you want to hear it as like a sample in an industrial track because it's just really, oh, menacing and misanthropic. Yeah. And Hello, Zep. Brilliant. And yeah, 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 it's very Hello, Zep. <laughs> There's even a scene where in his publisher's office, there's a, like a scene transition into a flashback that's done in one camera movement, just like in Saw 4. <laughs> Everything is Saw. Every film Everything is, is Saw. Everything is at the minute. Um, uh, but Medusa Touch uh, does have a, a little bit of the Saw morality in it, in the, yeah. you know, it explores this character who's a, a misanthrope because... He starts off as a very righteous, angry character and then kind of gets increasingly jaded and obsessed with death and destruction uh, until he just becomes this kind of ultimate misanthropic force. But, you know, it's very similar to Jigsaw in that respect, in that he starts off with <laughs> reasonably good intentions, but then it goes horribly, horribly wrong. So, yeah. I love the 19th Sovereignties. <laughs> <laughs> 
if you could have the Medusa touch as a superpower, you'd definitely use it, wouldn't you? You'd end up nuts like Richard Burton does in the film. Andrew, you're a god of chaos. You'd have it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Quite frankly, I'll take any superpower going. Uh, in order to, you know, in order to ruin my own life through the medium of instant karma. Right. Okay. So you think it'd work like that? Well, change is as good as a rest, isn't it? That's my, that's my view. <laughs> I'd not seen this one before either, and it was, yeah, it was really, really solid storytelling and um, nice kind of sense of menace all the way through. I love the way that that thing that the inspector reads in the journal about the West Front, and when you find out what the West Front actually means, it's like. Oh, mm-hmm. fuck. And it's just two words. Yeah. But all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they've been instilled mm. with so much doom. What I loved about it was things like that, how the whole film is about words and thoughts and their power kind of made literal. Uh, and it's so carefully written. I don't understand why it's so underseen. Like, none of us yeah. had seen it <laughs> until last week. So that's crazy. And probably nearly a thousand people die in it as well. So destructive. Yeah, huge. Mm. Huge body count. <laughs> there was a kind of an interesting thing. I don't know if it was meant to be kind of satirical, where they they were like, "No, look, the the cathedral is dangerous, and you need to get out." And a load of people go, "Protect the queen!" Yeah, <laughs> it's like the whole kind of idea. Like even faced with sudden death, people are suddenly like very deferential, like, "No, the queen, we must save the queen." <laughs> it's definitely shot in London that bit, and not Bristol, because uh, when the moment the camera sees some road, two big red double decker buses go past with <laughs> <laughs> adverts for London on the side. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> the Londoniest London taxi that ever did London. Yeah. It was... Have you ever considered visiting where you are? <laughs> it's the right place to start. <laughs> uh, but you don't turn to someone like Ken Russell for a PG certificate. This was the era in which he gave us The Devils, aka the film where Oliver Reed luzzes a crocodile out the window. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that scene. I laughed so hard. I was like, oh my God, I forgot the crocodile. He's so badass. <laughs> so early on in the film as well, the crocodile. Yeah. <laughs> just really lets you know where you stand with this movie. It's just this beautiful exploration of hysteria that, that delivers on being a genuinely hysterical film as well. Like pretty much end to end. It's so amped up. It's so yeah. ramped up, and as is usual with Ken Russell films, it's a little bit like trying to eat an entire birthday cake in one go. You just get hit <laughs> with like everything, yeah. and every, everything is like ramped up and so on. But you still feel for Oliver Reed's character. You you feel like the sort of every bit of the suffering of this innocent man, and that in yeah. amongst this kind of like weird expressionistic stage sets that um, Derek Jarman did for it, and oh uh, yeah. The complete out thereness of Vanessa Redgrave. It's set designed by Derek Jarman, photography yeah. by Nicholas Rogue, directed by Ken Russell. I mean, this was never going to be anything less than brilliant, was it? Yeah. <laughs> it's an amazing piece of work. It does make me exhausted, though. It wouldn't be one where I'd be like, oh, it's Friday night. Mm. I'm going to have some popcorn. I'm going to have a little watch of the devils. That'd be fun. Yeah, I can understand that. There's no dead scenes in it. Every scene has got at least one moment that you just go, fucking hell. Mm. And yeah. it's always always for different reasons as well. It, there's just yeah. the tone changes from scene to scene. It's always did, perfect. Did you guys watch the full version with the Rape of Christ sequence in it? Or yep. yeah, yep. that just adds a little bit more madness to it. I saw Ken Russell present that at the NFT years ago, mm-hmm. uh, which was just a very funny experience anyway because Mark Commode was interviewing him and was very 
obsequious towards Ken Russell, which you know I guess you can understand. Uh, but just before they started the film, uh, he he sort of gave this long speech about how great the Devils was, and then said, and, and ladies and gentlemen, Ken Russell, who who directed one of the greatest films of all time, and Russell just stands up and yells, "There are the white worm!" Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, Ken Russell was doing it did exactly what I would have done if I was Ken Russell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> much as um, I love the Devils, there's kind of moments where I was going, "Oh, it's a bit, it's a bit hard going." This I wish I was watching Lair of the White Worm. Uh, Megan, you haven't seen it, <laughs> okay? Andrew, no, <laughs> you haven't seen it. You've no. never seen the Devils. No. Fuck. Oh, oh man, it's really good. So good. Right now, let's do a wheel spin turn from early 17th century France to 1970s Surrey with the occult motorbike gang of Psychomania and the tarot reading cannibal of Frightmare. Andrew, these sound up your alley. Did you watch them? So, no, because (laughs) (laughs) I fundamentally (laughs) misunderstood the premise of the podcast (laughs) and we watched two films together and prepared them. Uh, right. So, yeah. <laughs> and we have Fair. covered those early doors. So I can probably help you with this one. Have you seen the video for Killed by Death by Motorhead? Yes. Is it, the, is it exactly the same? It's, yeah, but it, Motorhead do it much better in three minutes than Psychomania does it in 19. <laughs> Motorhead do it better in three minutes than anybody else. <laughs> this is true. This is true. <laughs> I bloody love Psychomania and I don't know if it's in the way that you'd love a really really old dog that needs to be put down <laughs> it's it's like an Amdram production of a biker movie everyone in it is posh and well spoken and it's ridiculous but it's got these mad images that just stay with you like the whole riding the bikes around the stone circle and Beryl Reed being the psychic and apparently channeling a little girl and talking to the family and being like hello mummy I'm happy don't cry um <laughs> the biker funeral where he's buried on his bike and they all turn into hippies for no reason bur- buried with his motorbike yeah, not, not so much six feet under is minus one foot under that yeah grave isn't it it is yeah just the fact that they just go ahead and do it as well you get the girlfriend saying to the mum we just want to bury him in our own way and then there's only the scene they're all hippies for no reason yeah to start playing an acoustic guitar and singing a nice little song yeah that's right it's so good I I don't know why I love this film but I I just really it just just really sticks with me and I saw a screening at the BFI a few years ago Nicky Henson the guy who plays Tom the leader of the biker gang he's sadly passed away now but he was there and he said that he was initially um thought the film was a pile of crap and he'd just done it for, for the money, etc. But then over the years, people have started quoting it at him and he was like, actually, no, this is actually, this is quite fun, isn't it? It's a comedy, isn't it? And if you look at this scene, I'm eating a bread roll for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> My 11-year-old, when she says something that's not true, <laughs> she will say, I was joking. <laughs> now, is bad horror <laughs> the same as comedy horror? <laughs> or is it just bad horror? Is Psychomania a comedy? What it's like is a children's film foundation romp. Is he pulling a Tommy Wiseau when he said the room was a comedy? Is that what he's doing? Yeah, I think Psychomania was a genuine attempt to channel subculture of the time by people who did not understand the subculture. But they did it in a very kind of mannered, very English way. Yeah. There are kind of attempts to make bits unsettling, but it's just it's just very, very weirdly done. But there's something just incredibly mesmerising about it. And just the soundtrack's cool, the bike helmets are cool with the skulls on Oh, the bike helmets are awesome. I think I think it's a really cool-looking film, um, but you cut it down to three minutes and not lose anything. 
as, as Mighty Head Proof. <laughs> there are a couple of really, really good British Hells Angels documentaries on YouTube, and I cannot recommend them enough for a doer, the dream has gone sour, subculture, Britain, down at heel thing. They're breathtaking and beautiful. Well, if you were going to make a spooky, supernatural biker movie in Britain, would you do it in Walton on Thames? I, I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't dream of doing it anywhere else. And have a scene of them having realised they can cheat death. One of the first things they do is go in their local co-op and throw cardboard boxes around. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they do horrible stuff as well. But anything that would be like sort of gory or particularly violent kind of happens off camera, or there's kind of like a weird angle. So it just looks like they are causing chaos at the start, and they do apparently kill someone by going, "We're going to blow his mind." Which they say several times, which usually just means we're going to be really, really annoying, piss him off, and then. <laughs> kill him for, for a laugh by causing a car accident but when they all come back from the dead they don't have any kind of mystical powers or anything other than the fact that it's slightly harder to kill them by normal means mm. and they're going back to just harassing people in the shopping center like they were before as a 70s doctor who fan andrew you will love the bit where they turn to stone at the end because the effects are exactly like stones of blood right probably yes probably <laughs> like that yeah <laughs> well there is a 1970s doctor who story called stones of blood uh, which is about a stone circle which we have visited um and uh, and i actually i camped at and did mushrooms at um what i love is doctor who fans arguing that the stones that literally move across the screen going are scary <laughs> <laughs> um and also frightmare We've probably got time just to rattle through that. I love Frightmare. Yeah, I do too. That's one of those great underrated 70s horror yeah. movies. I love Pete Walker as a director. I think he's kind of like the opposite of Norman J. Warren mm. in that they make very similar films in a lot of ways, but Pete Walker's always feel really angry and like they have something to say and that there's there's an energy to them and a, a grittiness whereas Norman J. Warren just feels like he put the camera there and hope for the best. And also he has Sheila Keith as like the equivalent of Kurt Russell to his John Carpenter. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sheila Keith in Escape from New York. I can see it now. <laughs> I would I would love that. <laughs> Actually, to be honest, I could see that now. No one was going to make apocalyptic films with angry old ladies in, but they should. Cockneys versus zombies. That's old people. Sort of apocalyptic. No, the best thing about that is the theme tune at the end. Yeah, Chaz and Dave. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Sheila Keith in um, the next Mad Max film where they can resurrect her and do that. Back as a hologram. Yeah. Sheila Keith in everything. <laughs> uh, sticking with the cannibalism, it's time for our second feature, which is 1972's Deathline, a.k.a. Raw Meat, directed by Gary A. Sherman. In the depths of the city, a nightmare grows real. <laughs> a sinister evil. that festered for generations in its mouldering tomb. Who stalks those deadly shadows? Whose cry echoes their horror? Whose blood will flow when it strikes again? What strange hunger drives it to prey on the young and strong? An experience in ultimate terror so fearful that no additional scenes can be shown in this preview. Passengers at Russell Square Tube Station are abducted by members of a cannibal clan who've lived in the tunnels for 80 years. Uh, so, Megan, is the reason it's called uh, raw meat in America? Because in America, Deathline would just mean, like, a really horrible cue. 
<laughs> I think it's probably just one of the New York subway lines, isn't it? Um, <laughs> not really sure. Yeah. Did you watch Deathline? Uh, no, I think I have seen it like in the distant past, but not in uh-huh. the near future. <laughs> in the near past. Oh, you wouldn't have seen it in the near future, yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, we are going to watch all of these films yeah. and do our own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> He did work next to Russell Square, didn't he? Uh, Kevin Garner. used to hang out in Russell Square. Yeah, yeah. We want, we'll just, uh, yeah, just oh. talk about antidotes, antidotes about when we were in London that one time. <laughs> I also used to work in Russell Square at Cable and Wireless very briefly. Did you? In the late 90s. Mm. Was Christopher Lee there? Literally, so did I. I worked, well, not in Cable and Wireless, <laughs> but I, well, I worked in Senate House for a while, which is like the big oh, yeah. story, or Wellian Tower, and then, I was, then we, we moved to the building next door. Which is kind of a shame because you kind of like, well, you know that tower that may or may not have inspired the Ministry of Truth in 1984? I'm in the building next to that. How high up did you work in? I mean, I don't mean which which (laughs) position, but did you you get to go all the way to the top of the building? Uh, I didn't work at the top of the building. I worked on the ground floor, but we did get a secret tour where we got to go up on the roof. A secret tour? That's cool. They've got World War II communication equipment up there still. That's awesome. It's all kind of like rusted and spooky. It's it's cool. I've been to the cinema opposite Russell Square Station. Does that count? Yes. Yeah, I used to get a train yeah. past Russell yeah. Square to work. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> Hang on. Stop. Stop the podcast. <laughs> it's amazing. So was it as sleazy as it looks back then? Because I think the um, guy in the first scene, he's gone on a peep show or something. Just he's in Soho, isn't he? He's just taken well, a very, very long yeah. walk to go home. Did, I mean, it has a long walk from Soho. Yeah. But then it... Yeah, it's near King's Cross. King's Cross used to be a sleazy area, so mm. maybe, but I don't... I think, yeah, it's it's between lots of sleazy areas, isn't it? Or formerly sleazy areas, I should say. Mm. Um, well, we don't know what he got up to between looking at the windows of sleazy places and going, oh, that looks fun, and mm. then getting the um, getting the tube home. Well, apart from trying to... Oh, trying to, yeah, he, try, he tries to pick up the um, the lady in, but that's actually when he's actually waiting for the tube, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, presumably he's already had his first round of sleazy con by that and he's just going yeah. for a you know second course yeah well he's got that card to get free drinks in a hundred pubs listed on the back which that must be very <laughs> tiny writing not very handy for someone who's drunk i would imagine <laughs> i like the use of real uh, london underground facts in it like the whole business about the city and south london company um i mean it's not 100 percent true they, they didn't go bankrupt after a collapse but they existed yeah, and the stuff about Museum Station. and I love how this entire conversation so far about Deathline has been about London trivia. <laughs> well, it's that sort of Every film, isn't single... it? Did you know? <laughs> it really is. Well, it's that sort of film, isn't it? It's, it's because it's so set at a particular site yeah. in London. It's just like, oh. I did, I did spend the whole time going, oh, I've been there. Oh, that's yeah. different now. Oh, that used to be a sandwich shop. Oh, that... yeah. Was that just the yeah. opening scene with the, the sex shops? <laughs> been there, been there, been thrown out of there. Been there, been done there. that. <laughs> had, had, a, had a sandwich there. Yeah. And the adverts on the tube platform, I couldn't stop staring at them. Oh, yeah, it's exactly the same when yeah, I watch American yeah. Werewolf in London. Yeah. I was I was trying to figure out what the advert that says Portable Pub, what was that an advert for? Party 7, presumably, right? Was it? Was that Portable Pub? Yeah. Party 7? Ah, right. Yeah, you have a barrel at your party. There were posters for the black and white minstrel show's live performance at some theatre. Which is still on, of course. Yeah, According to new conservative anti-woke laws, yes. <laughs> then there has to be a black and white minstrel live show now. <laughs> and then after like 20 odd minutes of that, you just get 10 minutes inside this 
cannibal's cavern, camera panning over loads of really gory, putrefying bodies. I think that's probably the best thing about the film, that reveal. Yeah. Because it's sort of a bit hammy, some of the acting. Donald Pleasant's doing the most over-the-top acting I've ever oh, seen. He, yeah, it's right so much there. fun to watch him, though. Yeah. He's massively he's over-the-top. And the character is clearly someone you would not want to be stuck in a lift with, but he's literally just having the best time. <laughs> to the point where he's almost corpsing, but then you kind of think, well, yeah, he could also be saying, no, do you mind? This is the kind of character who just laughs all the time. It's yeah. own witticisms. And it has got the weird, very 70s tonal shift. So there are scenes like the, that later on, there's the scene of the workmen and they're all talking about, oh, did you go out with Sandra last <laughs> night? Yeah, I did. She was a right sort. And then one of them gets horribly murdered by one of his own tools. I know, yeah, there's that other guy. I had my dinner and then I went to the pictures and I went to the pub <laughs> afterwards. And then you never get to find out what happens later because somebody gets a pickaxe in their fucking head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's a shame that the horror interrupts all the, the good stuff in this film, really. All the soap opera stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just mundane conversations, little snippets of 70s London. And then it's yeah. like, oh, fuck off, cannibal. Stop ruining it for everybody. I think the cannibal's done really well. He's like, the, he's like your proper kind of Frankenstein's monster sort of sad. He's all alone in the world because the, the woman dies and it's just him. He's good. But the mm. problem is the um, Pat and Alex characters, right? So they witness the guy who ends up being the first victim. Fair enough. But then we follow them doing fuck all through the rest of the film because the script is obviously leading up to them encountering the cannibal. But it's a total coincidence. They are the, the, the weak link in this. And yeah. the, the guy is horrible. Yeah, and then the, like, the finale of the film is 10 minutes of him walking around in the dark until he stumbles across this cannibal. Yeah. Instead of Donald Pleasance doing his detective work and yeah. figuring it out for himself. Uh, this is me doing my usual thing of defending a film that doesn't quite work just because I really mm. like it. But I, I like the weird tonal shifts in this film. I like the way that it's... Again, in a, in a different way to Dr. Fibes, it feels quite um, comic booky, And I love the, and I was only in it for the one bit, but the scene where Donald Pleasance and Christopher Lee sort of confront each other is just brilliant. It's just... There's some trivia about this. They were never in the same room. Sadly, sadly, there's no post-porn fact for this. So. I wonder why Christopher Lee was so centred in that scene, because you never actually see him in the rest of the room. He's just right yeah. in the centre, and then you see him sit on the sofa, and then no, he—they must have been in the same room. Otherwise, they did like a really weird cut because he tells him to go out the door. Yeah, you can tell it's not Donald Pleasance because the uh, Donald Pleasance body double has a big wig on. <laughs> Sorry, I, 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 screwed, I screwed up the trivia slightly. Let me let me redo this. They were in the same room, but they were never in the same shot together because Lee's six foot five and Pleasance is five foot six, and the director felt that it just looked really. When he sat on the sofa, he's in the same shot. Yeah, Christopher Lee's height is all in his legs. <laughs> do, do you know what? That was really shit trivia. Let's let's just edit the whole thing out. <laughs> <laughs> the dialogue in this film is gold and that's the that's dialogue the in that scene is is good as well you've got well, the, in the whole film well the, in the whole film yeah but that that particular scene is just you know the stuff about a class system and it's all the, the people that are upper class are all like the sort of monty python bowler hatted city men the kind of thing that looks absolutely insane now and um pleasance's character is sort of like he's lower middle class and he's all like saying god save the queen but there's a bit of a sneer in what he's saying and the scene where him and the other policemen just get pissed and play pinball and make a nuisance of themselves is brilliant <laughs> and there's no reason for that scene to be there other than you know, wouldn't it be great if our characters got pissed okay 
and then they get pissed and they're a bit annoying in the pub at the publican. Um, yeah. Oh, speaking of that, um, 70s sitcom trivia for Psychomania, the publican is um, the ARP warden from Dad's Army. Oh, Bill Pertwee? Yeah. yeah. John Pertwee's brother. Doctor Who is everywhere. Um, yeah, Christopher Lee was also in um, Star Wars um, Episode <laughs> 2, time. Attack of the Clones. <laughs> <laughs> and now, on that note, it's time to mind the gaps in your knowledge with Three. a round of scary noises. Luke and Emily, you're playing against a team of three this month. CJ, Andrew and Megan. But to make it a bit fairer, I'll let the team of two ask for no more than two hints during the game. Okay. Okay, so get ready to buzz in. Here's your first pair of scary noises. Identify the music and the dialogue if you can. Hail to the Knight of Pentacles. Emily with your tambourine. Uh, the dialogue is from Frightmare. It is. Uh, did you and Luke get the music? I did not because I was excited that I got something right. <laughs> <laughs> Some clubbing music. Um, Saw 4. It's not Saw 4. Uh, so CJ, Andrew and Megan, can you get the music on this? Hail to the Knight of Pentacles. Sorry? You are the Knight of Pentacles. This is your card. Sit down. The from other Eurovision sign. <laughs> it's not from Eurovision. <laughs> wow, that's quite specifically like mid nineties sounds to me. I think I'm not, I think I was thinking like Into the Void or something. I don't know. It's not. It's not Into the Void. Um, Luke, do you say you think you know now? I thought it was from Blade. From the opening. No, no, it's from Mom and Dad, the uh, Nicolas oh. Cage film. I can't even remember half of that film. Yeah, me neither. All right, number two. The amniotic fluid of the Cusco iguana. Did you know that this reptile has not changed significantly in over 100 million years? Herbert, I know this is important. Now, we extract the amniotic fluid from the sack. With that, we add the... Yes, Emily. Is the music Dr. Fibes? It is. And the dialogue... I uh, don't know. Something about amniotic fluid. Um, <laughs> from an iguana. What's got iguanas in it? Um, are there iguanas in Saw? Uh, yeah, Saw, <laughs> Saw 4 iguanas. Is that, is that The iguanas cut of Saw 4. It's not um, bad Lieutenant Port of Court, New Orleans either. Andrew, Megan, CJ, could you get the dialogue off this? amniotic fluid of the Cusco iguana. Did you know that this reptile has not changed significantly in over a hundred million years? Herbert, yes. I know this is important. Now, <gasps> Jeez, we extract the amniotic fluid from the sack. With that, we add the muscle proteins of myosin. Jurassic Park. <laughs> it's not Jurassic Park. <laughs> Emily, you said you reckon you know what it is. Uh, is it Reanimator? It's Reanimator 2. Oh. Ah. Right, number three. What is it? Roman stuff. Can't be Roman. They didn't have kings. And emperors and shit. My mate Buzz was on a site last year, said they found a load of Roman coins elsewhere. It's not yes, Luke. Cockneys vs. Zombies. Unbelievably, you just mentioned it a few minutes ago. Yes, it is. <laughs> Cockneys wow. vs. Zombies. Did you get the music? 
Um, is the music the Medusa's touch? Yeah, for a bonus point, you got both of them. So halfway through, it's now 5-0 to <laughs> the Luke and Emily, without any need for your hints that I was offering. <laughs> I'm, sure I'm not sure the hints are really that fair when Andrew and Megan have only watched two films. Yeah. <laughs> ever. Anyway, <laughs> never, ever. And, and half of them were Doctor Who. Uh, number four. I don't want you to do anything, Francis. Bastard! Keep quiet! Let go of me. Let go, you're hurting my arm! I will let go of you when you shut up. Yes, CJ. The dialogue is Satan's slave. Yep. I remember that dialogue purely because in the scene where he's hurting her arm, she sort of stops struggling for a moment to do her hair, which I thought was a nice <laughs> touch of acting. Um, didn't catch the music. It just sounded like dogs. <laughs> dog soldiers. <laughs> Not dog soldiers. Uh, Luke and Emily, can you get the music? I don't want you to do anything, Francis. Bastard! Keep quiet! Let go of me. Let go, you're hurting my arm! The more I hear that, the less it sounds like dogs. I think at one point the guy in Satan's Slave goes, rum, rum, rum. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't the music. No, I, I couldn't get the music if that's what it was. Yeah, no, it was, it was a difficult one. It was um, Switchblade Romance. Ugh. Oh, okay. Uh, number five. You're adorable. And really sexy when you're violent. Yeah. Um. <sighs> yes, Andrew. The dialogue is from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> <It's fucking laughs> cool. Is it 68 Kill, the dialogue? No. Do you want no. to guess on the music? Um, uh, it's going to be one of those 70s films uh, Symptoms? Nope Luke and Emily can you get these? You're adorable And really sexy when you're violent yeah. Um What? What Miss Blue Ball? Hey girls get them too I don't, I don't want to hear about your balls. That's so gross. <laughs> no, you know what I mean. Like, Is the music the shout? Nope. Okay. Dialogue? The babysitter? Nah, uh, the music was terror and the dialogue was unfriended. Oh. So let's see, where are you? Five, one to Luke and Emily. Here's the last pair. Hello, Tom. Hello, darling. How are you? Are you all right? Well, I'm uh, good, mother. Emily. The dialogue is psychomania. Yes. Music. Uh, don't know. Just excited that it was psychomania. No. <laughs> um, I don't know. It sounded like a man underwater singing. Um, the underwater singing man. That's all. I, that's all I got from it. Um, underwater singing man, aka saw ten. Is it seesaw? Seesaw. It's not seesaw. It's not the incredible underwater man. The musical. Um, so Andrew, Megan, CJ, can you get the the music from this one? Hello, Tom. Hello, darling. How are you? Are you all right? Well, I'm uh, dead, mother. But apart from that, I couldn't be better. Am I going to see you? I've got one or two things I'd like to do, but I'll try and pop around sometime. Goodbye, mother. I 
This one's on the house. Really does sound like a man singing underwater. Uh... Yeah, it's quite like a radio being tuned. <laughs> Is it Coil's original Hellraiser soundtrack? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's from Sinister. Uh, I reckon, okay, I recognise it when you say yeah. that. So, uh, that's 6-1 to Luke and Emily. Well done. Yay. Andrew and Megan, thank you so much for joining us this month. Hope you've had a good time. Yay! Yeah, thank you for having us. <laughs> uh, is there anything coming up that you want to direct our lovely listeners towards? Well, every, every full moon. <laughs> every, every full moon we do the full moon online drive-in uh, where we uh, dissect a film uh, and then we watch along with it. If you go to androneal.co.uk slash shows, uh, the link for each one will be there. I'm on tour in September and I'm doing gigs uh, all the time and I do online shows uh, every couple of weeks. So all details are on on the same thing. Wicked. Well, thanks again. And next month, we're going to be talking about women directing women. Uh, that's Luke's choice of theme. And he's picked Revenge as one of our features. And our guest devil is comedian Hannah Platt, who's picked Jennifer's Body as the other feature. So join us in June for Jennifer's Body, Revenge, and a whole load more female-fronted and indeed backed horror films. Until then, please give us five stars and nice reviews. Spread the word. Talk to us on Twitter at DevilX5. All that business. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.